Hello, good afternoon, good evening. Uh, welcome to the Dolphin Theatre for tonight's platform about the National Theatre's uh, latest sold-out hit, uh, Mosquitoes. My name's Dan Rebellato. It's my great pleasure to introduce to you the writer of Mosquitoes, Lucy Kirkwood, and the director of the show, and indeed, of course, the director of the National Theatre, uh, Rufus Norris. Can I just ask one question before I start? Uh, if you haven't seen Mosquitoes, could you put your hands up? Oh, that's a lots of people. Okay, so... I'm going to ask the non-spoilery questions, all right? So I'll try not to, to ruin it. Um, <laughs> Lucy, can I start, uh, start with you and just ask a, a, an obvious sort of question, but what was the very starting point for this show for you? So it was probably the commission itself. So the play was originally commissioned by um, uh, the Manhattan Theatre Club in uh, New York, and it was a Sloan Commission, which is a foundation that commissions works of art about science. So. Um, and I, that, that, that is interesting because I don't ha have a brain that naturally goes towards science. So, so, that, so there was a, um, a provocation there to look at science. And, and it, that was about eight years ago. So, uh, so there was a lot of, there were, I guess, suppose it was um, then inspired by lots of things that were, that were quite current at the time. And uh, so there was the, the LHC was about to start up. The I've just gone spoilery. <laughs> wow. there, was a, there were questions about um, immunisation and medical science in the news. So um, uh, lots of those things have, were sort of filtering around my consciousness. And um, then it only took a sort of another sort of six, seven years for them to solidify <laughs> into something coherent. Um, so, yeah. So can I, can I ask, because uh, I don't know how you write particularly. Mm -hmm. I mean, are you a very... Discipline writer up at eight thirty. I do three hours every day, and then, or, or is this a play that kind of struggled to be born over those eight years? It, it, it certainly travelled really far, and I think right. that I mean, uh, retrospectively now, that the moment that the play really came into focus for me was Brexit, um, which might not even be clear to those of you who've seen the play. But for me, the dynamic between the two sisters is 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 about what happened in this country last year. Um, so, so that was the, so that tells you, and I've been writing the play for a really long time before we got to there. But there were so many things that I was trying to corral about, um, you know, the uh, rational and irrational thought, how we sort of navigate the tension between our thoughts and our and our feelings, our intellectual side and our emotional side. Um, the fact that enlightenment, to some extent, is a privilege, and we can all sit here as people who go to the National Theatre and live in London or whatever, and um, feel very smug that we we know that medical science is correct and that climate change is happening. But there are lots of reasons why people all over the world can't uh, accept those <coughs> truths. Even I mean, even truth. I mean, I find truth itself what we accept as true, and mm. what we, how do we know what a fact is, and how do we? Um, process information. We all live, there's a line in the play, we all live at a, a time where we uh, have access to even more information than we've, so much information, and we, and we also haven't upgraded our brains sufficiently to be able to process it. So that's a really interesting thing about the time we're living in. Um, so all of those things are sort of swirling around. It took quite a long time to go, wh what's the shape? And you, I mean, you saw it, when did you see it first? Quite a few years ago, and it wasn't, it was very different to the play that we're staging now, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Can you, <laughs> can you say something about your first encounter with the play and, uh, and, uh, and, of course, actually what excited you about this material and, and how it's developed since? Um, well, I, I mean, it was a while ago. Uh, <laughs> it was before 
it was before I took over, so it was, it was during the transition period. Um, and just to, so, so the, the, the play was with the Manhattan Theatre Club, but there was a, there was a, a longer about their, um, about their process or their commitment to it. Anyway, we got hold of it. That happens sometimes that plays that have been commissioned in one place end up starting somewhere else. This has been, you know, we've, we've mounted this very much with the support of the Manhattan Theatre Club and they will or won't um, do their own production uh, in the future. In some ways, I think it's very good that it started here um, in lots of ways. But, um, I, th I mean, it's, it's very difficult to sit here next to Lucy and talk about why, uh, about what it is when you receive a piece of writing for the first time and you go, that's, you know, yes, it's got a distance to go. There are bits that I don't understand, but I absolutely, not only do I absolutely commit to producing this play, I'm, I'm going to take all other competitive directors into a back room and have them shot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, uh, <coughs> I have a droit de seigneur uh, at least once. I was talking about somebody, uh, talking about this with somebody last night, actually, about this play, and they were saying, how do we get on? And, and I think in my job, it's... It, I, I can, s particularly with a younger writer, I can, I can almost force the issue once of saying, yes, we want to produce your play and I want to direct it. And it's very difficult for the writer to say no. Um, <laughs> right, I wouldn't put it past her. But anyway, in this case, <laughs> and then you've got one shot to get it right. Lucy is, uh, is, is for me, the rarest of... Uh, you know, of creatures in that she's got an, an absolutely um, uh, completely dis distinctive voice and uh, a, a completely unique storytelling mind. Um, and the combination of those two things is very, very rare. And, and um, I think most artistic directors or most practiced readers of play, yourself included, would, uh, would agree that it, you only need three or four pages to go, no, this is, this is something. This writer is... Uh, is something, and of course, I knew Lucy's work anyway, and had been had been angling to try and, um, you know, get get something on of hers here. So it was a very very quick decision, but it did it did it did have m many changes um, from then till now. Okay, just to do a tiny correction, just because we were warned about the fact everyone's a journalist before we went on, which is that the MTC. D I'm saying this because it's going to end up being a compliment. Just bear with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Empty. Um, there wasn't a longer. They were keen to produce, but I felt like the play wasn't ready, and I was, and I really felt like I just went. If the national will do it, which you'd put the, I mean, we got, had did readings at the studio, and 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 I just knew that there'd be a process where I could make the play better and give them back a better play if it was on here first. So that was the. That was part of, but I'm just saying that in case anyone from NBC is, is listening in and they go, "No, we want to produce it," because they did, but, it, but but it's better now because they didn't. So can I ask a bit about that? Um development process so it had some kind of journey it still needed to go on yeah. was that a, was that a development at the national theater studio did it change further in rehearsal could you say a little bit about what those that last leap was about so it's uh, readings at the studio conversations um and then yeah it changed massively in rehearsal um not mean when I say it did, it did. There were certain scenes which got completely rewritten during rehearsal, weren't there? And it's and that was something that, if I'm if I'm honest, I'm someone who like, in a head girly way, likes to go into the first day of rehearsal with something that's really like 
close to what you're going to be producing. And I think you like to work, at, uh, and uh, this is something I really enjoyed about working with you, is that uh, you're, you, 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 when you see it, it's very clear for you immediately, but you sort of have to have the actors there, and then suddenly you can move very quickly. But it's, uh, uh, that's something I really enjoyed about our process, was that it was through practice, and it was through seeing it with warm bodies in a room that you suddenly realise that bit doesn't work, but you can see the solution, and you can see how to change it rather than me abstractly at home, banging my head on a desk, going, I know it's not right, but I don't know how to correct it. Yeah, also, I mean, as, uh, as you'll see, the play, the play has many ideas, and it's very, very, it's very complex, and trying to bring those two, you know, the, there is a family drama in it, and there is science in it, and bringing those two things together in a way which, which is um, understandable uh, and accessible, um, is, is a really difficult thing to judge, I think, when you're, when you're being as ambitious as, as Lucy always is with her work. But I think particularly in um, the recent plays, uh, with, with this one, I think it's, um, it, sometimes you do just, you, you need to hear it. And you need to have people coming in and going, I don't get it. Yeah, I think that there's that, I've started to realise something about some, uh, scene by scene with my you know that Coco Chanel thing about how you should always take off one thing before you leave the house and that's the key to being chic I sort of feel like that's the process in rehearsal for me it's like just take one thing out because <laughs> then, you're yeah. then you might have made something that, it, that Coco Chanel would approve of <laughs> <laughs> I mean, One of the things um, that I, I think is very striking and people who have seen this I, I'm sure will agree is on the one hand this is a very very funny play it's a very funny play and then it's not. There are, it goes very dark in places. It's suddenly you discover, you, without realising you've strayed into the middle of a very, very moving, very difficult scene. Mm -hmm. um, can I ask you first uh, how, that, how that kind of evolved and how you, how you write that sort of thing? And then actually, how do you direct a play and get the, the balance right like that? Um. I don't know that I've got like a like a intellectual answer for it. I, I think it's probably um, how I view truth, if that doesn't like that. How we all deal with very difficult, dark, complex, emotional things, particularly in this country, I think, is often with a certain kind of um, uh, not humour necessarily, but a sort of. Um, uh, I don't know what the word is even, but it's, but it's, but it's, I think we avoid being earnest and we avoid being serious and we have a lot of self-defence uh, mechanisms that we use to protect ourselves from really uh, this dark things. Mm. Um, so I suppose it's just my view of human emotion, probably. Mm. Um, yeah, does that sound, is that? I think you're just deeply dark and twisted, really. <laughs> Macabre, you called me Macabre at one point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, how, and how do you find that balance in rehearsal? How did you find how this play works emotionally? <coughs> well, I mean, of course, the most important thing is to get the right people in the room. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and with, you know, I mean, I think with, with, with every different type of play or a musical or... or um, you know, a, tr a tragedy or a classical play or whatever, there are, there are different demands and, uh, and each theatre that you work in has different demands. But as you can see from this one, this is uh, what we call the Petri dish that we're sat on now. Um, the the plays in the round, as you can see, which has certain technical um, 
demands from a directorial point of view, just to make sure that people have got access to it. But there's almost nothing. There's a, there's a few little bits and pieces of furniture, and that's it. It really is the play and the actors. So making sure that you've got the, the, the actors who've got the, uh, actually, the, the deep instinct and intelligence mm -hmm. um, is the most important thing. Uh, and in fact, we did uh, delay the production slightly to make sure that we, get, that we got a cast that we were really, uh, really, really happy with. We were very fortunate in that, in that um, the two sisters who are, in a way, the, the kind of the twin um, uh, pillars uh, were uh, were old friends, so that would, so that they st they came in with a with a relationship that was al already very very trusting, um, and they're both completely terrific, and they both got the same name, which was uh, <laughs> we, we also one of the stage management team also has the same name, and there's another one who's just joined the company as well. So it was a it was a band of Olivia's, but um, uh, but that really is the in. Um, the, the most important thing is get the right people there. And then, of course, there are, there are processes that you go through. But I do believe, I, I was kind of brought up in the Royal Court, really, uh, and their school of directing new plays. I think the writer is the primary artist in our, in our industry. So actually, a lot of it is about trying to get as much stuff out of the way uh, as you can to make sure that, that, that the writer and the actor have a, have a very clear line of communication and... I think that's what happened. Can I ask you more about the design there? Because, of course, you wouldn't necessarily do every new play in the round, but this configuration and this, uh, this fairly, fairly minimal design it has, is clearly doing particular things for this play. Do, can you say something about how, how this configuration emerged and, and <coughs> what it's doing, you think? Um, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's sticky, don't you? Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, but I've said it, it's a Petri dish. That is a microscope lens. Um, I mean, it isn't literally, we don't use it as a microscope lens and we don't put, uh, we don't necessarily put kind of chemicals in here. But, in, but, the, but the play does involve particle physics and most family dramas are really about different particles hitting each other. Um, and, uh, and so we wanted very simply to get to... Um, to put a um, uh, to, to give ourselves the b the best way of holding that, um, I love playing in the round because it, it means that as a as a director, and particularly as an actor, you haven't got anywhere to hide at all. I'm sure there's one over there who's up there. She pr would probably um, agree. Um, there's there's just nowhere to go because actually, if you're bored as an audience member, you can always look at the other audience members. They're real and they're not acting, so it does uh, it does put put the actor under, um, really under a, under a microscope in a, in a particular way. It also is probably not giving too much away to say that this presents an opportunity for the, uh, f for the, the, the gorgeous and brilliant technical crews that we have here and the, the creative teams on other levels to, to throw their stuff at it. And there's, um, uh, this isn't a spoiler because it, you can see this in the programme, it's not often that you read a play and the character list includes a boson. Uh, how do you rehearse a boson? <laughs> well, I mean, again, it's, it's the casting thing comes to, you know, mm. we had a, 
we had a bit of a challenge mm. uh, with that one, didn't mm. we? It was, n it was not, and we kept on saying, I mean, this is, this is terrible, it sounds like we're blowing smoke, but we did say several times in auditions, what we really need is, is sort of Paul Hilton, because, um, et cetera, et cetera, and after a while we said, well, why don't we just <laughs> ask <Get> Paul Hilton <laughs> <laughs> and see, uh, you know, and I suppose the reason that we didn't ask him is that at that time, the part had not quite fully evolved and we didn't think we'd get him. Um, but we did. So, um, uh, you know, so what, 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 what does that mean? Paul is, Paul is one of those actors who is, is completely in his body. And if you're going to play a particle, uh, particularly an invisible one, <laughs> um, you've, got to be, you've got to be very inhabited. Uh, and as you'll uh, discover, he's, he, the boson is not just um, mm. a particle within it. Uh, I think part of the challenge as well it, with... with um, if, you, if you talk to, are there any mathematicians in the house? Ooh. <laughs> oh, I've got one down here. Um, well, the, the brilliant mathematicians I know will argue very vehemently that maths is an art form and, and they are completely passionate about it. And even, <laughs> and, uh, and even though, for, you know, and if you go back to the days of. Um, John Dee and, uh, and, and the giants upon whose shoulders uh, Newton stood, um, they're, 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 for them the difference between um, science, mathematics and magic was, uh, was not yet there. That emerged, um, uh, which gives an idea about the, the passion mm. and, the, and the belief, religious, you know, back, back then. Um, that uh, Galileo and all these people invested in uh, in this work, and they were as deeply emotionally engaged uh, as those. If you watch Particle Fever and you and you and you look at the people who are working at the LHC, and uh, in, in, you know there, there's nothing nerdy about this. They're, they're completely full-blooded, very very passionate, emotionally engaged, um, vocational people, uh, and thank God they are because they, because here we all are, mm. largely you know due to the due to the passion that they bring to their work. So it also needed somebody who is going to emotionally fill the, the character top to bottom. Thank you. So Lucy, the science bit. Um, uh, you've mentioned that, that the play is in in part set around the Large Hadron Collider in in Geneva. Um, and I think you, you thank some CERN scientists yeah, yeah. In, in, in the program. Um, with the understanding that I'm about 10 seconds away from being totally out of my depth, <laughs> what drew you to the idea of that? What is it about the Large Hadron Collider that sort of excited you, I guess, as some kind of metaphor or something that was going to be productive of a, a play? Actually, it was what you just said. It was the feeling that in about 10 seconds, I get completely out of my depth. And I've done uh, oceans and oceans of research to write this play, and basically none of it is in the play. Um, and I've <laughs> read books and books and books, and I cannot retain it, and I cannot, like, I was nervous there, you were about to ask me to give you a brief explanation <laughs> of the Higgs boson, and I was, I can do, like, three lines, and then I'm out. Um, and that's what the play's about, uh, to me, is that, is that actually there are these, as Rufus says, there's these, these brilliant brains all over the world, uh, conducting extraordinary experiments that in 25 years we will understand the meaning of because they will have invented the internet by accident or something like that. <laughs> um, but I don't understand any of it. Like, I, you know, I did English literature at uni and I, and, I, uh, and I am beguiled by science but completely overwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. So it, it was about what does it mean to, uh, you know, um, I, I, f I find 
Alice such a sort of I, I'm in awe of her and I'm also so far behind her and I wanted to write and that's I think most our position most of us apart from you our position is to feel like that about scientists largely is to go I love what you're doing I don't understand it and um that's weird because that's their sort of um, guiding the future of the world. And, the, and we've got so many important conversations that revolve around science that we all need to be having right now about climate change, about all those sorts of things. So it was about uh, my own illiteracy around science and the fact that that is something that um, I, think, I think we're all aware of as background noise is we sort of, you know, I, every six months I buy the new scientist and I read it and I feel like I've had some vegetables. Um, <laughs> 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 it's interesting as well because the, the play kind of, this isn't quite the right way to describe it, it sort of pitches sort of science and fact and truth and evidence and logic and argument against superstition and, and myth and believing what you read on the internet and all that sort of stuff. And yet there's something about the action of the play, I think, that is ultimately trying to bridge oddly trying to bridge those two positions or understand why both of those positions exist together in the world. I'm really glad you said that because yeah. I, one of the things I sort of still feel I could have done, and we talked about this, is that like I, you know, there's a point where Jenny mentions, the, uh, one of the characters mentions thalidomide and you go, there are points where science has got it wrong. And sometimes I, f I f like, there's a, um, there's a br really brilliant quote by um, Siri Hufstead who's an American novelist, and, and she said, I'm alarmed by all kinds of solidified knowledge. And there's sort of a bit of me that is with that mm. while being, uh, you know, believing in climate change and all those other things that scientists tell us we should believe in. Um, so, so, so I sort of, I think the play is, has in its bones a sort of um, inherent belief and trust in science. And sometimes I sort of wish that I'd been able to sort of that up a bit more but um because because i do think that that's you know there's a just a there uh, i am i am much more rational than i'm rational you know i'm still furious at the man who cut my wedding cake before me like you know right. it's like <laughs> 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 i'll tell you <laughs> yeah who is he i can't tell you i can't <laughs> tell you <laughs> somebody actually cut your wedding yeah. cake before you I'm really, really angry about it still. <laughs> was he just really hungry? No. Anyway. Oh, okay, right. Because <laughs> you, you, there's an epigraph in the uh, in the in the published text from Thomas Pynchon, yeah, very good, which is to the effect of something like the world's divided into those people who think science can do anything and those who are afraid it will. Yeah. And I kind of think that's a really interesting yeah. take on the way on the direction this 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 play goes yeah um, but, and that, that sorry that word I think that was the other guiding sort of force in the play was that on a it was fear it was about fear and I think that's still something and that's what you know why what happened Brexit is interesting because that was sort of a uh, Brexit and Trump have all come out of sort of a growing sense of fear I think people have that's cultivated by various things um, so a lot of it was just about fear and about like you know there's something extraordinary about having we have more and more knowledge and all it does is make us more fearful like certainly on a, uh, when I started writing the play, I was feeling like I was, you know, hor uh, irrational hypochondriac, kind of staying up all night smoking fags and drinking red wine and getting terrified about the end of the world. Um, <laughs> the play was born from that. Um, enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's really interesting as well because it makes me think of the, f the first scene of this play. The kind of structure of it, I suppose, is it starts with extreme panic and fear. Mm -hmm. And, and the way that's resolved is through telling stories. Mm -hmm. 
that's a very ab- it's a non-spoilery very, very abstract very elegantly done describing <laughs> that thing and i suppose I, i'm going to ask a rather pretentious question now but i mean in a sense do you think that's kind of part of the role that theater plays that it, in in a world which you know every week seems to be slightly more terrifying at the moment uh, that, that partly there's that way of reordering the world by telling stories yeah i think i don't think that's pretentious i think that's probably i think um theatre is where we share our um, fears and vulnerabilities and that's it, it, to be specific like there's a sort of uh, larger thing there where it's about a non-scientist talking to a scientist and the responsibility of the scientist to tell the story in a way that does reassure that does you know she tries lots of different things in that scene and it's eventually it's the the act of telling the story in a way that's about her as a human being that mm. that does the trick um, and so, so I, so I think, uh, so, and and then, s- by extension, it's, it's about that woman declaring herself to her sister as fully human, and that's what we do in the theatre. We show all those bits that we wouldn't normally show to people in public, mm. and share them, and 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 show our ugly sides and our fearful sides and our panicked sides, don't we? I think, mm. and that's yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I've got uh, this is my last question, um, and this is for both of you really, and it, and this is a deliberately simplistic question, but I've said that this play goes into some very dark areas and you see kind of the worst sides of human behavior and and so on um to what extent do you do you think this is ultimately a hopeful play i i think it's a really hopeful play and in (coughs) fact i wrote it parts of it written uh kind of in direct response to what i what i I thought there was a sort of period during the 70s, I don't mean to write the bloody thing, um, that I just felt this sort of real, like, this apocalyptic, macho apocalyptic trend in theatre, where it was all about writing about, like, the end of the world and that being, and actually, the, the, for me, the play is about rejecting that and looking, and because I think it's braver to imagine what happens next, I think it's, more, and it's harder to imagine what happens next, but we have to do that, however frightened we are. So that would be my false answer. Thank you. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's, well, God, it's such a big thing. I, 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 I suppose the, the, the older I get, the more I realise that, that on a personal level, and, and I suppose at the moment that's, what that comes down to is, is within the context of the challenges of the job that I'm doing, which is complicated, um, uh, is, 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 is to find the balance between sentimentality and cynicism, mm-hmm. is to not be cynical. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's quite tough, because it's a very easy thing to hide behind for a lot of people, which is maybe something about that macho thing that you're talking about, that it's easier to have edge or to have side or to slag someone off or not deal with some part of yourself that involves making yourself vulnerable, which is, as you say, what our job is. But at the same time, you know, we've all grown up on, on stories which are which are profoundly sentimental, even if that's you know, very, very well hidden. That is the sugar that is usually uh, um, uh, coated on the stories that we, that we flock to, and certainly in most mainstream stories that's true, um, which, is why they're, which is why they're very palatable. Um, and I think what Lucy's done in this is, is absolutely charted that line between the two. So I would, I would agree, F- for me it is ultimately Hopeful as well, but it's but it's there's no um, uh, there's no rose tinted specks. Mm. Mm. Thank you very much.
Well, I'm afraid that is all we've got time for, but can I ask you to join me in thanking Lucy Kirkwood and Lucy.